Reluctant cricket. She didn't know the very basics. She didn't know the foundation on which it was built, which is pretty much it's got to be a flat pitch. And that these describe fielding positions and the whole thing of batting and bowling and one team in and one team out, which is pretty opaque even to some of those who've watched cricket, meant nothing to her. Except she didn't know it meant nothing to her. In her mind, she understood what cricket was about. She'd heard it on the radio. She knew her dad loved the game. And as far as she was concerned, she understood cricket. It's just she was wrong. There's an awful lot of life that we live that is based on absolutely basic foundations that we're all pretty convinced that we've got right that shape almost every relationship, every decision, and in particular, that shape our faith. But one of the reasons for going right back to basics, back to the first few pages of the Bible, back to some of the really basic concepts the Bible talks about, is just to make sure that we haven't got them wrong, to make sure that we aren't imagining a hill where it's actually a flat pitch, to actually know that we've got that really core foundation right. And that's the reason over this term we're going to be thinking about um, one of the most basic understandings from the first page of the Bible to the last page of the Bible that informs pretty much everything else about the Christian faith. And it's this idea of covenant, that God makes unbreakable promises to those whom he has made and loves. So we've called this term unbreakable, and it's the story of God's promises to us and to all that he's made. The problem about this idea of covenant is that it's not the sort of thing that you and I talk about very much. It's a word that is occasionally used in legal um, circles. But for the most part, we don't think of relationships in those terms. We tend to use two other C words. We think of relationships as either commitment or contract. Commitment or contract. So you and I may have some commitments in life. Um, you may be an absolutely committed Brentford supporter. Okay? I know there's a few here. Or you may be absolutely committed to Apple products. I know there's one or two also here. Um, I know which I feel more sorry for. Um, and uh, Brentford are doing very well, I think. And, um, but commitment is a one-way relationship. Uh, whether you're committed to Brentford, to Manchester City, to um, Harlequins, to Apple, whatever, it's pretty much all about you, your commitment. You have decided that you are attaching yourself to this brand or this club or this person. But it is pretty much all about you and not about them. I am nominally, and I have been for 40 years, a Manchester City supporter. I say for 40 years just to remind you that was far before we had any success or money I'm less interested now to be honest Um, but uh, honestly and truly there's not a soul at Manchester City that cares a jot whether I'm a City supporter they don't know I am they don't care about it and if I suddenly stopped tomorrow and supported a different club wouldn't make any difference to them and that's pretty much the case for all supporters if you're committed to something it's about how you feel towards them and if you're properly committed it doesn't really matter what they do. That's certainly true in sport, isn't it? If you're a properly committed supporter, even if you plummet down the divisions, you're going to carry on being committed. That's what commitment's about. It's one way. 
there's another type of relationship that we work in, and that's contract. If commitment is basically me saying, I don't really too much care about what you do, I'm just committed, contract is almost the flip side of that. If I'm in a contract relationship with someone or in a company, it's all about, if you do that, then I will do this. And if I do this, then you need to do that. So uh, you sign a contract um, to sell a house. You put the money into my bank account and sign on the papers. You can have the keys to the house. You sign with a builder. Um, if you do this work and it's done satisfactorily into time, I will pay you this money. And when contracts are broken, there are legal consequences and the contract breaks down. But there are obligations on both sides and either side can pull out. The interesting thing about relationship is how easily a relationship that should neither be just commitment or contract becomes one of those. Whether you've been a parent, are a parent, or were simply just a child and knows what it is to be on that end of the relationship, we know that a parent-child relationship shouldn't just be commitment or contract. So, on the one hand, it shouldn't just be that a parent is committed to their child and there's nothing in return. It would be awful, wouldn't it, if a child simply presumed on that committed love of the parent and made no connection in return. If it made no difference to them, if you like, whether that carried on or didn't. That, that just sort of one-way commitment is actually remarkably uh, um, uh, impersonal. It's just presumed upon. It just exists like a piece of furniture. And we know something's gone wrong if a relationship is so one way. And yet, the flip side of that, a contract relationship, is equally unhealthy. What a terrible thing, and some of us have been told it, I guess, for somebody who should love us unconditionally to say, you've done that, I don't love you anymore. Now that's contract, isn't it? I'm going to love you until, I'll love you unless, I'll love you only if, I'll love you if you live up to my standards, I'll love you until you let me down. That's a contract. The foundation on which life is meant to be built, the playing field on which faith is meant to be lived out, is neither simple commitment nor contract. It's covenant. It's the single most fundamental idea and experience throughout the whole of Scripture, and it's supposed to be throughout the whole of life. Now, we're going back to Genesis not because the word covenant appears in the first few chapters of Genesis. It doesn't appear until about Genesis um, 8 or 9. But because these wonderful words of picture language about creation and about our God who loves us and has made all things paints the picture of this playing field on which we stand and tells us that the way God relates to you and to me, to our children, to our parents, to our community, and actually to the whole of creation is neither a simple commitment where he doesn't really care what we do and where we don't really care um, what happens, he's simply committed, nor is it contract if I'm good enough, if I don't block my copybook, if I don't mess up, then God will love me. It's covenant. And by looking just briefly at a few verses from chapter 2, I want to unpack what that sort of love looks like so that we can then tee up the next few months, the next um, couple of months, as we go through 
all sorts of places in Old and New Testament where covenant is shown, is, is, uh, is explicit. Because that will help us to understand what it is to be human, let alone what it is to relate to God. So can I just read to you, um, if you want it in front of you, it's on page four. Can I just read to you from Genesis 2? Just a few verses here. This wonderful picture language, uh, this lovely poetry. This is a, uh, Genesis 1 is one account, um, one way of understanding um, uh, God's motivation and his love as he pours it into creation. Uh, chapter 2 takes it from a different angle. Um, and uh, again, picture language of, of God's commitment to, his love for, and his covenant with all of creation. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." So the first, the most important thing that we learn here about God, which underpins how we understand his relationship with us and how we understand covenant, is what we say again and again and again about grace and about the whole of the Christian faith. God makes the first move. Before we even exist, God is giving himself. Before we've done anything for him, even in our existence, God is giving to us. God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates all that is good for food and pleasing to the eye. God makes and gives, actually even before we exist. Before we were born, certainly, but before we exist as a species, God gives. God is before. This covenant that the Bible describes, which is God's relationship with you and me, is not equal. It's not simply two sides of a coin, God's bit, my bit. That's religion. Religion tends to work on the basis of a contract, which is meant to be an equal partnership. A contract gives me legal obligations and rights and the other party legal obligations and rights. Covenant doesn't do that. Covenant is that God gives unconditionally far before we ever even know him, far before we've got even anything to give him back. He just gives. Actually, that's not just different from religion in general, that is the polar opposite of the way religion ticks. Religion says, here are my obligations under this contract, and if I fulfill my obligations, then God will fulfill his obligations to me, or the universe will fulfill its obligations to me. If I pray in the right way, if I fulfill the commandments of my religion, if I go to to worship enough times, or I'm a good enough person, then God will fulfill his, her, or it obligations to me. And if I don't, then God won't. It's the way that every religion works, from pure paganism, which is really about manipulating the unseen forces of the universe, through to the great faiths of the world. It's a contract. If, then. If, 
then. That is not the Christian faith, though it's how some Christians live it. That is not the Christian faith, though that is how many outside the Christian faith look in, assume it works. Because what they do is they look at the commandments in the Bible where God says, this is the way to live, and they see it as a contract. If you live this way, then I'll love you. If you don't live that way, you're toast. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible talks of covenant. The God who made all things and has made you has given himself to you and to me before we've given anything to him. Not on a contract, but in covenant love. So that's the first thing. Covenant is based on the self-giving love of God far before we have anything to give to him. It's not dependent on you. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. We've said this many times. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. His covenant love is unconditional, unbreakable. That's why we've called that, uh, used that for this term, unbreakable promise. God gives. But there is more to covenant than simply the unconditional love of God. Because this is not some simple fan-like commitment as if God is somehow standing in the stands just cheering us on, whatever we do. Some fanboy who can't see the, the, the downsides of our lives. Now, this is relationship, not just a fan. This is, this is covenant, not just a commitment. And when you are in proper love relationship with somebody, it sets on them obligation. Let, let me unpack that for a moment. Um, If somebody, out of the blue, declares to you that they love you, that's not a straightforward sentence, is it? If it is somebody you've never met, I would suspect, never happened to me, but I would suspect that's somewhat freaky. You can't just go, that's nice. Why? Well, because to say I love you to somebody is looking for response, isn't it? They're looking for you to say, I love you too, to do something about it, or to reject them. There is no neutral response to, I love you. There is no neutral response when our children say, as we hope they do, I love you. Or when we say to our children, or to a spouse, or to a brother, or a sister, or a best friend, I love you, said in covenant form, may not be a contract. You may say, I'm only going to love you if... Please, I hope none of us as parents would ever dream between that. We know that's not the way love works. It's just, I love you. But it's not, I love you and I actually don't really care what you think of me. And I don't really care what you do in response. And I'm just not interested in, in what you think of me. I just love you. That's just commitment. It's covenant. I love you, dot, dot, dot. And what you're looking for is, I love you too. It's not dependent on that love, but it looks for that love. And look at the way that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 work. Genesis 1 and 2, the picture language is of God giving unconditionally. He gives, he makes, he designs, he takes joy in what he's made. And then he sets humanity in his creation to enjoy it. But they have an obligation. Why? Because he's given something to them. So what are they going to do with it? Are they going to love him back 
with the words that they speak and the things that they do and the people that they become? Or are they going to turn inwards and just love themselves? There is no neutral. There is no neutral space in which to live. Covenant demands response. God's love in the picture language of Genesis 2 and 3 for Adam and Eve isn't dependent on how they live, but it does call for a way of life in response. God's covenant isn't broken by the picture language here of them turning their backs on him, but it is not fulfilled. It's like giving someone a gift. You give them a gift, they still have to unwrap it and enjoy it and, and, and use it. You may not take the gift back if they don't, but it's a terrible waste if it's just left. You may have decided if, as a parent that you are never going to stop loving your children. Or your parent may have decided they were never going to stop loving you, whatever happened. But many of us also know the heartbreak of love that is unrequited, that is unreturned. All those moments when love is trampled in the dust or when a friendship is broken or when a, a child messes up and we feel hurt. In other words, for God to make covenant with you and with me is for God to make himself vulnerable. It's an amazing thought, actually. Just, it's worth sitting with for a moment. If you make a contract with somebody, it's not vulnerable, is it? You, you've protected yourself if they mess up. So, if, you know, if, if I'm a builder and I make a contract with a householder, actually, if they don't pay up, I'm going to take them to court. I, I have a way of protecting myself. If it's simply a commitment, I don't really care whether they return the love. I'm just committed. It's, it's not that close. But in covenant relationship, in love, whether in a marriage or in a parent-child or between best friends, you open up your heart. You let yourself get trampled on. That is the absolute essence of loving somebody. You say, I will love you, come what may. And it looks for a response of love. That is covenant. God gives to Adam and Eve. That's the picture language of Genesis 2 and 3. And they decide, for the, in this particular moment, to say to God, thanks, we'll have that, but we're going to do it our own way. We're going to love ourselves more than you. We're going to do our own thing rather than what you want us to do. So, a couple of quick things then to, to unpack from that. Firstly, what's the place then of command within love? Well, God gives, uh, in Genesis 2, a command to Adam and Eve. He says to them, here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the centre of the garden. You're not to eat from that. Uh, and and the, the sort of visual aid for us there is of God simply saying, look, if you're going to properly enjoy the gift of my love and the gift of this place to live, then this is how to get the most out of it. This is how to respond with love. This is how to live in a way in which you respond to my covenant. And if you don't, it's not that I stop loving you. That would be contract. But it's that there are consequences. That's covenant. Just in the same way that if your children trample your love in the mud, there are consequences. It breaks family life. It means they don't get to enjoy the benefits of being parented. It means they don't get to enjoy that the safety and the protection of being part of family. They'll go off and do their own thing. It may not stop you loving them if you're in covenant relationship with them, but it does break something, your heart, quite apart from the else, and they're damaged by it. 
What Adam and Eve do here is they cannot destroy the covenant, but they can break God's heart and they can damage themselves. And they do both of those things. But God doesn't stop loving them. And the story of God's unbreakable promise from Genesis through to Revelation is that time and time and time again, God takes this fundamental covenant with all of creation and with you and me, and it's like at different points in history, he, he makes it explicit what it looks like to live it out. So he says to Abraham, he says to Noah, he says to Moses, and then in Jesus he says to us, in your life, in your day, this is how it looks to be loved by God unconditionally and to respond by loving him back. These are the consequences if you don't. You'll break my heart and you'll damage yourselves. There are obligations to being loved. But these are the blessings that come with loving God and being loved. So next week, we're going to look at the covenant God makes with Noah and his family and with all creation. Uh, A little bit later on, we're going to look at the covenant God makes with Abraham so that he picks a particular people group out of all the peoples on the earth to love in order that the whole world might know they're loved. And that through them, in Jesus, he then makes a new covenant with all of us so that by his spirit we might know that we're well loved by God and that in Jesus he's given everything for us before we've given anything to him. So we mustn't, to start with, imagine God is simply committed to me. Isn't that lovely? God loves me. There's a sort of flat, impersonal um, side to that sort of belief. There's plenty of people go through life like that. It'll be all right when I die. It'll be all right at the end. God's committed to me. It'll be fine. I don't have to do anything in the meantime. I'm not terribly interested in what he thinks of me in the meantime. And I don't suppose he's terribly interested in my life in the meantime. Hopefully it'll be okay. That's not God. That's not relationship. On the other hand, it's also not true to say that it's a contract. You've got to keep your end up or else God's not going to love you anymore. You do your bit, he'll do his bit. That's religion. That's not faith. Faith is this, not stuff just that I believe in my head, not simply a way of life or an approach to ethics or morals. Faith is trust in the unbreakable promise and covenant of God. Faith is trust in the unbreakable love and covenant of God. That's what faith is. It it comes with obligations in how to live. It contains in it things that we believe about God and what God has done. But at its heart, at its core, it is a response of trust. God says he's going to love me in eternity. I trust that love. And so I want to love him back. And that's the unbreakable story that we're going to follow from Genesis through to Revelation. And in particular, that we're going to see written in the life of Jesus. Covenant love. And on the way, we're going to see how it shapes our life as parents. We're going to see how it shapes our life in marriage. We're going to see how it shapes friendship and community and church life. But most of all, to see how it shapes our relationship with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Jesus you have loved us with an unshakable, unbreakable covenant love. Thank you that your love for me is not dependent on me or on what I do. But thank you that your love for me is far more than uh, bull-headed, blind commitment. But that you say to me, I love you. 
and long for me to love you back. And for each of us this week, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to love you back, to respond in trust to your covenant love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.